Are you feeling a call to create something new for your community? Perhaps you want to write a book, start a podcast, organize a coalition, or launch a new business or ministry. Regardless of what you are being called to create, Faithonomics Doers Creative can help you clarify your vision and equip you with the education, resources, and community you need to bring your bold idea for good to life. I invite you to learn more about Faithonomics Doers Creative and consider joining the waitlist for our April 2024 launch by visiting faithonomics.com backslash creative, or by following the link in today's episode description. If you join the waitlist prior to April 1st, 2024, you will receive special early access to the platform and a priority discount code. Plus, one lucky waitlist member will receive a free annual membership, a $360 value. So what are you waiting for? The world needs your wild imagination. Let's embrace it together at faithonomics.com backslash creative. You are listening to the Faithonomics Podcast, a podcast that celebrates the journeys of faith-inspired leaders who are reimagining ministry and vocation in creative and innovative ways. From authors and activists to entrepreneurs and social impact leaders, here we elevate the lived experiences and wisdom of faith-inspired doers brave enough to embrace their wild imagination. I am your host, Ray Lamb. Let's get inspired together. Welcome, friends. Today in the guest chair, we welcome Grace Pomeroy, the director of the Stewardship Leaders Program at Luther Seminary. Grace is a lay millennial stewardship leader, speaker, and financial educator. She is the co-author of the stewardship book, Embracing Stewardship, How to Put Stewardship at the Heart of Your Congregation's Life, as well as the author of the 2013 ELCA stewardship resource titled Stewards of God's Love. Today, Grace shares with us learnings that arose from Faith and Lead's Funding Forward Research Project and how Faith and Lead is cultivating more sustainable pathways to ministry. So without further ado, let's get to it. Grace, welcome to the Faithonomics Podcast. It is a pleasure to have you with us today. I'm so glad to be here, Grace. Thanks so much for inviting me. So today I want to actually start off um, this podcast episode by reading something that you have wrote um, around the funding forward um, uh, process. Um, and I think this will help ground everyone listening into kind of what we're talking about and some of the, the larger issues at play here. Um, so um, just know that for the next few sentences, I am going to be quoting you directly uh, from something that you have written. Um, and here's what you wrote. Congregations across the country are realizing that the Sunday morning offering may not be enough to sustain their mission. They have responded in a variety of ways, from cutting their budget to increasing their fundraising efforts to looking for streams of income outside of the offering plate. Funding forward is the process of finding more economically sustainable models for ministry that emerge organically from the congregation's mission. It's not about saving the church or just bringing in more money for money's sake to line the church's pockets. 
this process is a lot more about mission than it is about money. End quote. First off, let me just say, Grace, it's beautiful writing. Uh, so I really appreciate you taking time to put um, kind of this process into words for us. But to begin, give us a high-level overview of what Funding Forward is. I'm happy to. Funding Forward is something that has emerged over time, over the last couple of years that I have been back at Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. And it's something that began with a conversation about exactly what you just mentioned, that for so many congregations, they're struggling to be able to bring in enough income to support the mission that God is calling them to solely from the offering plate. There's a need to diversify income streams. And so when I came into Luther Seminary, that was one of the things in my job description, figure out a more sustainable economic model for ministry, which is a huge <laughs> ask. Kind of scary, a little bit daunting, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. And we realized it was about so much more than that. That if it was just about finances, we were missing the whole broader component that for so many of these congregations who are struggling, they often are deeply disconnected from the communities they are called to serve. And for so long, their only mission has been just to keep the doors open. As long as we've kept the doors open and we've built it, they will come. But there's so much more, I believe, that God is calling us to do in this age of ministry. So deeply discerning God's mission was a key component of this, too. So we knew finding a more sustainable way forward might involve new income sources, but it would also involve deep discernment. And some of that would mean maybe even reducing our budgets, not just adding something to it, maybe shifting our staffing models, or even striving to create a self-sustaining ministry in our congregation, not just one that needed support from our budget every year. Yes. Uh, first off, that's a, like you said, that's a huge job description, like bullet point. Um, usually the one that terrifies me is all other duties assigned, but um, <laughs> even more scary than that is find economically sustainable uh, ministry, like uh, a way forward in ministry. So uh, kudos for you uh, taking that on. Um, and so funding forward is, you describe it as a process. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of go into that in just a moment, but to get to where you are now, you first had to kind of take a step back and conduct some research. So that's where I want to go to next. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the history behind the research project that kind of found the information that is driving this funding forward process forward? Absolutely. So as I mentioned, it began with this big job description item and was something that I began exploring with my students in a more organic way. In my course on this topic, my students would have the opportunity to do case studies with individual congregations who were exploring these types of ideas. And usually they weren't some sort of finished product of sustainability. As much as I think most churches want me to say, Grace, have you found the exact model that works everywhere that gives us at least 10, 15, 20 years of sustainable finances? And that just doesn't exist. I mean, we were talking to congregations who were on the ground playing with ideas, being agile and experimenting in real time. And it was so much fun. And then in 2021, we had the opportunity to bring nine congregations together who said, we really want to explore what this looks like. We understand why it's needed. We have a ton of ideas for what we might do but we're really stuck on how. How do we make this shift happen? And over the course of the year, we studied these different things together. They came up with great ideas. And often these congregations would go back to their leadership committees, or they would go back to talk to the lady in their congregation, 
and there would be a wall put up. They just did not know how to get over the hurdle of implementing some of these really audacious and beautiful ideas that I believe the spirit had drawn them to. So we said, we really need to take the next step and not just do informal case studies, but really go deep in research with congregations who've been doing this work. And I think it's so important to mention that finding more sustainable economic models for ministry and finding alternatives outside of the offering plate has been around for a very, very long time. If we Mm -hmm. look back through biblical history, there's so many different ways that the church was funded. And if we look back through Christian history, there's also a variety of ways the church is funded. This model of solely funding ourselves off the offering plate is actually fairly new in Christian history. But for so many of us today, really all of us, that's all we've known. So for us, it feels very different to go outside that model. That being said, a lot of our marginalized communities have had no other choice but to use these economic models for ministry that were outside the offering plate because there was no way they were going to be able to bring in enough income to support what God had called them to do just based off the people who are sitting in their pews giving through the offering plate every week. So we wanted to go out and talk to those communities who've been doing this for a long time, as well as those who were experimenting with this process. And we decided to begin with a survey. My students, some of my students became my research assistants, which is always fun. We put together a list of 200 congregations who had done one of three things. They were experimenting with or had implemented at least one new source of income to their revenue stream that was outside the offering plate. They had created at least one sustaining ministry and or they had intentionally reduced their budget by at least 5%. And this is not just making small cuts here and there, but really making a clear missional move towards a different model. Mm -hmm. And so that list of 200, we sent out a survey and we got back 101 responses, which we were over the moon about, um, and got to really see what these congregations are doing, what's been working for them. And then we decided to go deeper with 12 case study sites. And those 12 case study sites um, were all from the U.S. I should have said our survey respondents, some were from the U.S., some were from Canada, but most were from the U.S. And we really got to go deep with these interview sites to really answer that how question of saying, we know what you're doing and some of why we're doing it, but we want to hear how you've made these projects possible. Because sometimes these projects took a year, but often they took way more than that, even up to 11, 12, 13 years to make these things happen. How did you help your congregation stay on board as you made this shift to a new economic model? Thank you for giving us that that background from nine to 200 to 101 sponsors to 12 case studies. So after this process, like what what did you learn? Like what, what were the key takeaways that you found from these 12 case study sites? Yeah, there is so much that these stories unlocked for me, and it was such a privilege to dig deep with these sites. But I'd love to share with you just a couple of those key things that rose to the top. So one of the things that really struck my imagination was we focused in with these case studies on why they were doing this work to see if we could see any similarities. And we found that there was this kind of sweet spot or trifecta when these three things came together. God's mission, having a clear sense of what that is across the community, community needs, knowing what they are, and they could be longings or needs. They could come in a variety of different forms. And then the last thing was an underutilized asset. And when those three things came together, 
that's when the congregation seemed to find the most success. I'm putting that in air quotes, even though you can't see it. (laughs) Success missionally and financially. Now, I think it's sometimes helpful to have an example. So if you'll permit it, Ray, I'd love to share an example of what this looks like in a real congregation. Of course, that was actually going to be my next ask. So thank you for uh, foreshadowing it. Uh, Thank you. But go ahead. Awesome. Happy to. So one of my favorite examples is First Presbyterian Church of Gulf Shores in Gulf Shores, Alabama. And they did some really fascinating things. And if you look at their why, their trifecta, this is how it showed up for them. When they came into the funding forward process, they did so because they realized that they had a financial gap. And many congregations come to the funding forward process. This is kind of the catalyst is realizing there might be a financial uh, problem or a gap in your budget or you're going into the red, whatever it might be. But again, if we look at that sweet spot, they already had a clear sense of what God was calling them to do. They had a mission statement that was robust, and they were able to live more deeply into it due to this process. They also began listening in their community. Pastor Chrissy Ennen began listening around and realized that the community had needs for two things, childcare and affordable rentable office space. Now they did a little bit of research. They realized that for them, childcare was not the way forward. That isn't to say it shouldn't be for your congregation. Every context is different. We even had another interview site for whom childcare has been a sustainable model for them for decades now. But that being said, for this particular congregation, affordable rentable office space seemed to be the best way to move forward. So that was their picture of community needs. And then they had an underutilized asset. And for them and for many congregations, it happened to be their church property. They realized that they had an education wing that was staying vacant throughout the week and that this could be something that could be filled with new life with these renters who might be coming in. Now, I realize for many congregations, they get to this point in the process and they're like, yes, I can see how these three things go together. But our space is going to need a lot of help. And that was the case for First Presbyterian as well. They realized their space needed a lot of help to be able to get up to snuff. And luckily for them, a member of the congregation who had been a member for a while, went away for a little bit, decided to come back when the new pastor was there, was someone who loved to use tools. And he heard about this project, was so excited about it that he decided to bring his tools to the table to renovate the space. And he brought in people from outside the congregation and inside to join him to bring the space to the place that it needed to be. Mm. I'd also love to share another quick example of this, too, because I think sometimes people assume this all has to be around buildings. So if you'll permit just one quick example of this. Of course, yes. Um, From the table UMC Um, This congregation has some really beautiful ways of utilizing their space, but I have to say their example of an underutilized asset is a little different. For them, they created a social enterprise called Table Farm and Table Bread that has allowed them to engage the youth in their community in an entirely new way through doing farming together and bread baking together. They sell subscriptions to people in their community, and they also give away the food that they grew on the farm, as well as some of the bread that they bake as part of the subscription packages. And for them, their underutilized asset was actually some talents of a staff member. This staff member never would have thought that her baking abilities would be the thing that would be brought to the table for this project, but it was the catalyst to get the social enterprise started. Thank you for giving those um, two different, but very unique uh, kind of real life examples. Um, I can't tell you how excited 
I am over here on the other side of the screen um, because you are you're talking about churches being creative, engaging in the marketplace in a way that is ethical and holy and sacred, um, and that just makes like all my giddiness like come to the surface. So I really uh, appreciate you taking the time to to share this with us. Um, so um, I I want to to pause here for a second and I actually want to. Um, to name the timeline you were working on. So I I, I think this is a, a big point, but you took this job at Luther Seminary, if I read correctly, in March of 2020. Is that correct? It is. In yes. fact, it was the week that Minnesota shut down um, okay. with COVID is the week that I started. Okay, <laughs> awesome. Um, so um, you are asked to, you know, reimagine sustainable ministry. Um COVID happens. You reach out to nine uh, congregations in 2021. Yeah, we had a year of COVID under our belts, but it is still very much a part of our day-to-day lives. How do you think the timing of this kind of affected um, your your research or your process in, in these findings? Do you think that anything is going to change as we kind of move further and further away from the COVID experience? Or do you think this is the new normal in, in a new way for, for churches trying to find sustainable ministry? Yes, my answer is yes. <laughs> yes, across the board. So a fascinating thing happened, having started right in the midst of COVID. I mean, I do not know this job as the director of the Stewardship Leaders Program without COVID being a part of that reality. Mm -hmm. And what I had hoped and what we saw happen, and we saw this in the data as well, is that COVID created this liminal space for many congregations to begin to experiment in ways that they never felt they had permission to before, because so much was already changing that many of the congregation members who were often resistant to change in the past were willing to let go, were willing to change just one more thing. Because again, we were already changing 10 things, so why not change 11 while we're at it? Hmm. And for many of the congregations in our research project, particularly our case study sites, while they would never say that COVID was a good thing, please do not read me that way, I do not believe that as well, it did become a catalyst for them to create change in their congregation. It gave them a broader openness to change than they had ever expected before. Now, my hope had been, as I was writing about this in 2021, 22, that that openness to change would be something that we could hold on to as we were heading into this new era of ministry. And while there are certainly some sites that have kept that, I also hope that this would be one of those moments where we could take a look at our budgets in line with our mission and begin to make some real changes because, again, we were in that liminal space. However, I think for many congregations, as they've gone back to, quote, business as usual in 2022 and 2023 and now into 2024, have begun to kind of close down that liminal space window that they had had to really create some of this change and are getting back to a place where that inertia of being drawn back into trying to do things the way they were pre-pandemic, often with less people and less finances, can create even more barriers in the midst of wanting to put some of these changes into place. So I would say COVID in some ways shaped this process because I think it created an opening for many that being said, I think it has also um, this kind of slingshot effect of really kind of digging back in our heels on some of these previous uh, ministry commitments has created an even harder environment for many of our leaders to begin to create these changes. 
Mm. Yeah, thank you for your your insights into that. I've um, so this podcast, the Faithonomics podcast, is fairly new. It's something uh, we just began right at the end of of 2023. But a common theme that I have noticed among um, all of these wonderful guests who are kind of exploring new ways of doing ministry and and creating new ventures um, is that COVID had a role in 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 whatever it is that they're doing uh and in a lot of ways it it was forcing them or forcing their communities forcing their organization to reimagine because this the status quo wasn't even possible anymore um so i i like to lift that up because sometimes it does take um something to disrupt our way of being in order for innovation uh, to, to happen. And I think this is another prime example of, of that happening. And I agree with you. I'm not, I'm not at all trying to say that COVID was a good thing, um, but I think we can take a very bad thing and find some good outcomes as a result of some of the learnings that we had as a part of that process. Um, and I think that is exactly what you're, you're doing here um, and, and really appreciate it. So, um, so you, you've, completed this, uh, you completed the funding board research pro- uh, project. You um, identified kind of these these three main um, identifiers, God's mission, underutilized assets, community needs. So now the million dollar question is, what's next? Like, what, what do you do now with this research? What is the process of funding forward going forward? I'm so glad you asked about this because I think particularly being in an academic institution, it's pretty tempting for people to believe you've conducted the research and now it's over. You can Mm -hmm. move on to the next thing on your agenda. And it's really not. We did this research for the sake of congregations who were trying to figure this out. Um, I feel privileged to be a steward of the varieties of stories that were shared with me during the research project. And now we get the amazing opportunity to share this with congregations who need to hear it, who not only need to hear facts and figures and statistics, we all have people in our congregations who need that type of information, but real stories of hope from congregations, because we saw God active in the midst of financial constraint in a way that I had never seen before. And the survey really just blew me out of the water in terms of how people are seeing God's agency in the midst of that. So we want to bring a message of hope in the midst of a time that can feel scarce. So one of the ways that we're doing that is we did release a research ebook that's available for free on the Faith Lead site that I can talk more about later. We've also just recently released a course that walks people through the process that we learned from our survey and interview sites. And the next piece coming down the line will be a book on this topic that's coming out hopefully this fall um, from Fortress Press as well. Um, But beyond that, we want to keep digging deeper. I think one of the things we've noticed through this research project is there are still so many more questions that we have. Um, So currently we are in the process of deciding how we want to dig back into this data. How do we want to re-energize some of those congregations who participated in the first survey to maybe go deeper with us in the next one? That's um, I'm really excited about kind of the the future of this and that it is a living project. It's not something that that is done and a, a thing of the past. And um, coming from an academic uh, background, that's where I've spent most of my career up until uh, the present moment, I understand that 
once the research is done, you kind of just move on to, to, to what's next. And I'm very thankful that you are keeping this uh, project alive. And um, all the things that you listed there, so the ebook, the course, the website, things like that, I'll be sure to list those in um, the episode description. So if you are interested, you can uh, go to the episode description and find a direct link to what Grace is talking about. Um, and just to lift up the ebook that uh, you just mentioned, Grace, was what I was reading from right at the beginning of our episode. So um, highly encourage everyone who wants a, a deeper understanding of this to start with that ebook experience. Um, it's just a wonderful read um, from beginning to end. Uh, really, really appreciate you putting that together for us. Um, so here I actually want to pivot, Grace, and I want to pivot away from funding forward slightly. There's still going to be connectors here, um, but I actually want to focus on you, Grace, the faith leader who is who is behind this project. Um, so first off, um, I was hoping you could tell us, so you, you're serving as the director of the Stewardship Leaders Program at Luther Seminary, which you've mentioned. Could you tell us a little bit about what you do in that role? What is your your day to day? This is one of your your job description uh, points. Uh, what 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 else are you doing in that role? Yes, so it's a three part role. The first piece of it, as we've been talking about, is really engaging with congregations, whether that's doing research or creating resources, engaging with congregations around the area of financial stewardship, financial management, economics. And then the second piece of that is a real privilege of mine. I get to walk beside the students at our seminary in their financial wellness journey. And that means having individual conversations with our students, whether that's around creating a budget at the beginning of their seminary experience or trying to decide how they're going to negotiate their salary and benefits when it comes to getting their first call or their first ministry job out of seminary and maybe even their fifth ministry job out of seminary. Since so many people are going back to seminary who have been in ministry before, I don't want to make it sound like seminary is only for younger people. It's varieties of people. And then the last piece is teaching courses. I get to teach two courses at the seminary every year around these topics. One is money and the mission of the church, and the other is funding forward, which we're talking about today. And it really is my students' energy and passion and questions that have shaped a lot of this research as we've continued to engage with other congregations through that class. Thank you. And um, if you are listening and you have not picked up, you can probably guess how Grace and I have gotten connected over the years based off of that, that last answer. Um, both of us have a, a deep passion around um, financial wellness and faith. Uh, and of course, those two worlds collided for us. And I'm so grateful that um, we we were able to meet each other several years ago. It's been several years now, I think pre-COVID when we first uh, had the opportunity to engage one another um, and thankful that we've been able to kind of maintain uh, this uh, relationship from afar um, uh, together. I'm in North Carolina um, and you are uh, in Minnesota and um, still just enjoying everything that you were putting out there. So thank you for a little bit of that insight, Grace. Um, I want to uh, dive into this idea around financial wellness. So um, both of us are certified financial education instructors, or um, if you um, see this acronym on, on following folks' names on social media or on their websites, you may have noticed it um, 
CFEI is kind of the, the acronym that stands for the Certified Financial Education Instructor. Um, and basically, this is a, a, a credential we have uh, that helps us um, walk alongside folks in their own financial journeys um, and serve as a educator um, around personal financial literacy, um, helping them think holistically about their financial well-being, things like that. Um, I'm curious how that part of you, uh, kind of this personal finance part of Grace, uh, influenced your work with funding forward? It has influenced it in so many ways. And before I answer that question, I do just want to clarify for folks, because sometimes this can be confusing. I work for Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, but I actually live in Washington State. Ah, um, I, I knew that, the Grace. Olympic I am Peninsula. so sorry. Yes, I knew that. Oh, I knew that. Um, it's, it's not a problem. It gives me an opportunity to share this because every time I go out and talk to people, I get a lot of confused faces because COVID's created a new reality where you can work remotely. And we have students from around the country. So it's a pleasure to be one of the staff that's around the country as well. Awesome. Thank you for clarifying that. Yes. Oh, happy to. So I'm going to dig deeper into your question. So I would say my conversations with students, especially over the last couple of years, I feel like when I'm sitting with them and talking with them about their money journeys, I often had to be the one who had to push them to really lean in to learn more of the financial basics because I had so many students who would come to me with financial issues and say, Grace, I really just trust God to provide. And while I absolutely agree that God is a provider and God is doing marvelous things in and amongst all of us, I do also think that we have a role in that. And part of it, I think that God will provide mentality has often given people permission to not have to learn more about their financial life to not have to engage more deeply, to not have to do the research in the banks and credit unions that they invest in, to not have to do any more data digging into how investment for retirement might work because God will just provide. And while certainly I think that was valuable to push some of my students in that way, that is an attitude that I brought into this research project mm -hmm. was that really this issue that we're facing in congregations is more financial than it is missional. Missional component matters, but it really is about the finances. And if we get enough great financial minds in the room, we can come up with some good sustainable models. And I was completely turned around. Yeah, The data so. bore out to us. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yep. <laughs> the data bore out to us again and again and again that this is about what God is doing in the midst of us. That God was showing up through miraculous gifts that were coming from outside donors. One of our case study sites told us that uh, their landlord, they were renting space for their congregation, called them up out of the blue one day and said, I am just going to give you this other space that I've been looking to rent out. And I don't want you to use it for your churchy things. Um, I want you to use it for the community and particularly for the transgender community. Mm. And just completely changed their world that now not only did they have one space that they were renting out, of course, for a cost every week, they now had this space that was wide open to be used for a community that they cared about. And how could they give that away to that particular community? And by the way, this was a community located in Fort Worth, Texas. Oh, so awesome. needed more than ever, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, uh -huh. just, just incredible. So stories of God's generosity just kept peeling back the layers for me to say, 
Yes, the financial acumen matters. We certainly saw that again and again, that in order to create financial sustainability, you got to have a group of people that are paying attention to the finances, that know what market rate rent looks like, even if you're not going to rent your space for that rate. You got to be aware of it. You got to know how much things cost to actually put this process in place. But mission matters way more than money. And I'll be honest with you, Race, it not only impacted me as a financial leader, it shifted my faith journey and deepened my faith to realize the ways that God was showing up. I needed to be reminded and was so blessed to see that through our survey, we received over 90 responses to a question about where is God in the midst of the funding forward process. That's beautiful. Um, I, uh, I'm just like smiling over here because everything you just said was like so spot on uh, to me and um, kind of leaning into this um, missional identity, but also making sure that, you know, it's 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 not like a, a blind mission, like you're you're thinking about it holistically, you're thinking about the financial realities that accompany that mission and recognizing that we are all operating within cert- certain economic realities that do require us to um, um, think holistically about money and faith and finance if we want to make sure that these um, um, our ministries are sustained. So I just really appreciate you for continuing to name uh, this this really important and great work. Um, so I I think I'm going to go ahead and move us to the lightning round. Um, so um, just to clarify this for for your end, the lightning round we have five questions, um, and I'm going to kind of. Um, uh, Say them quickly, and I want you to just say the first thing that comes to mind. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Awesome. So first off, what is one non-negotiable part of your day? So this is a recent development, but one non-negotiable part of my day, at least for the last few weeks, is that right before bed, my husband and I look at Instagram reels together. Throughout the whole day, we set each other reels of videos from Instagram. And it has been a way for us to laugh together, to joke together, um, to give each other love and encouragement right before bed. And it takes all of 10 minutes, but it has been such a great connection point for us. Oh, I love that. Um, maybe I should lean into that because with my partner, I send uh, him reels and TikToks all day long. And then I like watch him watch them because I want to see if he has the same reaction. So instead of like watching um, the reels we send each other separately, I like I'm just like staring at him and, and expecting him to have the same reaction. So I love that. I, I think that's that's wonderful. Um, all right. Uh, question number two. What is one way you practice financial self-care? Yeah, so continuing to lean into this partner piece, the biggest financial self-care act, and this is something that took me a few years into marriage to figure out. Uh, My husband and I go out uh, usually for lunch or brunch once a month, and we sit down and talk about our budget and our financial goals together. And it has absolutely transformed our marriage. It has pushed me as a financial professional who often wants to believe that I have all my financial ducks in a row to realize that there is somebody else and their values that are present in our financial life and that we have to take the time to come together, get on the same page. And the amount of times that my husband has pushed me on some of my financial thinking is astounding. And I, I'm so, so grateful for it. He has really expanded my imagination in terms of finances and even faith in finances. 
Love that. Money does not always have to be um, a chore to talk about. You can do it over brunch um, and it makes it all, all the better. So I, I love that as well. All right. Question number three, who is one non-famous faith leader inspiring you right now? Okay. I'm cheating a little bit on this question because depending on who you're talking to, this person may be seen as famous, but uh, she is someone that I've really come to care about and respect. Her name is Natalia Turfa, and she's based in Minneapolis. And the reason why I love Natalia, she has a podcast called Cafeteria Christian. Um, I've listened to it a couple of times, but the thing I really care most about is her Friday uplift uplift emails that she sends. Um, and these are just a quick devotion for Fridays. Um, and honestly, it is something I use all the time with my students to really help us dig into a text. And I'd highly recommend it. It's entirely free. Um, and it's just been a breath of fresh air. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and uh, the fourth question, what is a book or resource you wish everyone took time to read or review? And I'm going to um, uh, preface this by saying um, you can't do your own ebook with funding for it because everyone's already going to go read that. So what is a what is a different book or resource you wish everyone would take time to read or review? I am laughing so hard over here because I absolutely hate self-promotion. So I'm glad <laughs> you picked that off the table because I wouldn't have wanted to even say it anyway. Oh, this is really hard. I have too many good ones that come to mind. But I think what I would lift up most is um, the work of Mark Elston. Mark is doing such incredible work in the space of Funding Forward, thinking about how churches can use their property in different ways. His first book, We Aren't Broke, is absolutely phenomenal. And he just came out with a new one. I have not had the chance to read it yet, but I've read excerpts and it's called Gone for Good, where he brought together a variety of different people to think about how we can better use church property. And he's done this in his own ministry context at a campus ministry in Wisconsin. And so to see how he's taking this work and helping other congregations and ministries to do just that has been so exciting to see. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and then lastly, if folks want to connect with you and learn more about Funding Forward, how can they do so? We would love to have you visit faithlead.org. If you haven't been to Faithlead, it is this beautiful digital learning hub where people can come together to find community, but also to be able to discern together God's faithful and hopeful future uh, through a variety of different things, such as courses, coaching, community in our learning lab, digital resources, and so much more. And that's where you can find our Funding Forward Research ebook. I'm also present there in the learning lab as a community member, so you can hit me up there pretty easily. And then that's also where you can find our Funding Forward course, which just came out on January 25th. So it's brand new. We'd love to have you take a look at that. Thank you. And I will be sure to um, uh, provide a few links for you to uh, access all that directly that Grace just mentioned uh, in the in the um, episode description below. So um, if you're looking for a quick access to Faith and Leads website, it is a wonderful uh, digital learning community. Um, uh, they've Y'all have done a really great job with it, Grace. Um, um, definitely encourage you all to uh, uh, check it out. So um, Grace, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and sharing about this incredible work um, that, you, that you're doing with um, Funding Forward. I'm, I'm so excited to 
know that this is kind of a, a, a living project and it's something that's going to continue. Um, and I think it's going to help so many congregations going forward kind of reimagine um, uh, their mission and how they can create sustainable ministry. So I just want to thank you for taking the time to uh, be with us today and share a little bit about uh, the process. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be with you and to be a part of the Faithonomics community. Yes, thank you. Um, and if you are hearing this, uh, thank you for listening and imagining with us new ways of doing ministry. You can connect with Faithonomics by visiting our website at www.faithonomics.com where you can also learn more about our Doers Creative set to launch in April 2024. And of course, you can find us on any of your favorite social media sites. Just search for Faithonomics. Uh, once again, my name is Ray Slam, your host, and you can also connect with me on your favorite social media platforms at Ray Slam. That is race with a Y. Thank you again for listening to the Faithonomics podcast. Be sure to follow the show and drop us a review. It helps other faith-inspired doers like yourself find the show. So friends, go in peace and with wild imagination, and I'll see you next week.